Howdy, y'all. Have you been down to River Dog Bakery yet to get some gourmet dog treats for your best friend? River Dog Bakery creates high-quality, fresh-baked dog treats containing human food-grade, all-natural ingredients. River Dog's number one goal is to provide nutritious and delicious treats for your best little friend. They make and bake all their fresh treats on-site in the River Dog kitchen. They don't use additives, preservatives, artificial colorings, or artificial flavors. So show your furry little friend how much you love them and treat them to a little something from River Dog Bakery. Go see their storefront in Knoxville right across the street from Homburg Place. Super convenient. You can also go to riverdogbakery.com, place an order there, and get free shipping on orders over $50. River Dog Bakery, that's where your best friends go for treats. The episode is also brought to you by Cosmetic CBD Skincare Products. Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream helps ease aches, pains, inflammation, and arthritis with their proprietary CBD-infused skincare solutions. Each bottle of Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is infused with 400 milligrams of their patented CBD solution. Be kind to your skin and go to Cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E, Medicated.com. Use promo code SOS20. That's SOS20. That's the promo code from this podcast. And uh, use it at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. All right? Podcast. Now. Let's do it. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. This is my podcast. Thank you guys for being here. How y'all doing? Everybody good? Missed y'all. I've got uh, got Benny Smith on the show today. Benny, aside from having the most badass name ever, is also the general manager and program director of 90.3 WUTK, The Rock. That's the uh, University of Tennessee radio station, and he's killing it over there, man. I've been uh, listening to that radio station for years, and uh, Benny is largely responsible for resurrecting that radio station back when I was in school at UT. And uh, he's been sustaining its growth and growing it and growing the listenership throughout the last couple of decades. We had an awesome chat, and I hope you guys dig it. Uh, Benny's name's been mentioned on this show a lot of times, and uh, it's been mentioned by so many of the artists that have been on this show that thank him and that appreciate what he's done for the scene because he's been so great for all of those artists, especially the ones that came to the University of Tennessee and needed a place to get their music on the radio. And uh, I feel like it would have been irresponsible for me not to have Benny on. And he was so nice to to say yes and to come over and do it. So uh, he's, he's just an awesome guy. I'm not sure if you guys are, uh, are, are in on this or not, but South of Scruffy video episodes are up on YouTube now. And we've been filming and releasing certain episodes of the podcast and posting them to YouTube on the same day that we publish the audio episodes to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the other podcasting platforms. This one is on YouTube, so check that one out on YouTube if you want to. And also go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're there. Uh, it's South of Scruffy if you search on YouTube. And if you've already done that, then uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts also. That way you get the notification when we drop a new episode, which is every Monday. All right, you guys want to hear it? You ready? The chat with the man? Here we go. Here it is. Me and Benny Smith. We're doing the podcast. Got to engineer the show myself. Hey, buddy, <laughs> believe me. Got to start somewhere. You're absolutely <laughs> preaching to the choir on all that. So just right, left, 
I think the cord goes on the left. I think so. That's Usually. What I think. Usually, is that right? You know a lot about a lot more about this world than I do. <laughs> I've got a few sets of headphones here, there, and everywhere. So yeah. dig the mug, man. I like that. And those are the those are the uh, everybody's favorite piece of merch are, are the mugs, Very just because cool. they're so big. Yeah, I dig them too. Very they're cool. great. You can put a big old cup of anything in there. No doubt, about twelve ounces. <laughs> well, thanks for being here, man. I've I've been uh, you know I've. Your name came up on the first ever podcast that I did. And, Were uh, they wearing a badge? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I always knew we'd be talking to each other through a piece of glass since then. So. <laughs> I'm glad no one has to write a check for bells. So yeah. That's cool, man. No, but that's cool. It was Matt Honkinen. Yeah. You know that dude? Jeez, man. That dude's so freaking talented. He's one of And just a great dude, too. Yeah, so. he is. His bands are always great. And, mm-hmm, yeah. and your name came up. And uh, it was like, man, I've I've heard his name. I, I feel like I've heard your name for twenty years or more. I've it, been here for a few, so yeah. yeah. How long is the radio? How, how long have you been at the radio station? Um, I started. Okay, well, it depends on which journey you want to talk. Right. Um, you know, I started there as a student, as an undergrad in '85, okay. winter quarter, walking over from Grieve Hall at six in the morning, Monday mornings, doing the six to ten a.m. shift, and uh, and then graduated in '87, came back in '88 as grad student as the grad teacher assistant there. And I was program director from 88 to 91 when we switched it over to New Rock 90. And that was, <laughs> there was no better time to be in college radio. I it bet. was grunge. It was jam band music taking off. Rap was trans, you know, kind of going into being hip hop. It became more than just music. It was mm-hmm. a culture. And our local scene, which has always been so kick-ass. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it just makes my job so much easier. And uh, so I did that for about three years. And then uh, I've been back uh, since uh, 04, a year before my daughter was born, started. So I guess that's going into year 17 this October, back okay. as general manager and program director. So, okay. Uh, what's, what's that mean? You just run the, sh- run the whole show? Yeah, it means it controls my life, basically. But, you know, what had happened is um, – uh, through budget cuts and this, that, and the other faculty changes and all, there just wasn't anybody in a position to really be the lifeguard at the pool at mm-hmm. a student radio station. And sure. you got to have one. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be dogs and everything else in the pool. But um, so Dr. Sam Swan, who was my advisor, we went to church together and so I'm friends with him and his wife. And so we had always kept up <clears throat> even after I left and um, so it got to the point where the station was just in, in real need of, of, uh, basically an overhaul. It was no longer being the effective learning lab to mm. provide practical experience to students who wanted to go into broadcasting and in particular radio. And, you know, we had a really good track record when I was there. And so Dr. Swan said it was always, he always wanted to bring me back. And so he was <laughs> able to secure some funding and, uh, gave me a call. I was at Metropulse at the time as their promotions director. And, um, my brief foray into the dark world of print journalism. Sure. And which was a blast. And um, uh, I was like, man, it's kind of a dream job because not only is it the music I love, playing new music and introducing people to new music and being right in the middle of our local music scene. Um, but more importantly, I've seen as a student, grad student and undergrad myself and, and others, what that station could do mm. to not only open the eyes of uh, potential broadcaster students who want to start their career, but a lot of fire under them. And, yeah. you know, they find something they freaking love to do that they get up every morning thinking, I want to go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. And that's what it did. And that's what I wanted to get it back to doing because mm. people much smarter than me, uh, that's what they started that station for in 1982. Gotcha. And um, so Dr. Swan, a couple years later, turned it into more of a learning lab where students actually get credit as opposed to just Mm. volunteering. 
And uh, so that was about the time I came on board as an undergrad. And then, so now, yeah, it's a full-fledged student lab. And, you know, if it wasn't for COVID, we'd be running oh, about 100 students every year through there, uh, about 30 to 40 new ones each semester. Wow. Uh, and then we have a core of, you know, 15 to 20 that, that we keep and, and are in – uh, the management, student management positions, if you call them. Um, and, uh, you know, it was wild because when I got back there, the place was in such bad shape, man. It looked like, you know, the the Delta house, at, an animal house. It really? was just, it took me a month to clean the place. Really? But even then I knew, and, and there was no kids coming down there. There was no students really interested, maybe a handful. And I'm like, where is everybody? And that's what had happened. It had just dwindled to, to you know, four or five guys and girls and, and their friends. and No so, lifeguard. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and this was with a thousand watts. And when I was there as a student, it was only 128 watts and you could barely pick it up to West Town. Yeah. Well, How far does that go? Up. That's what I was going to ask. Now our footprint terrestrially is mm-hmm. about 20 to 30 miles either direction. It's stronger going east, uh, northeast and southeast. Mm. Uh, but um with a stream, you know, as long as you got a phone, you got a radio. <laughs> so, and you know, and there's work. You know, we're we're trying to work hard to get funding to raise the power for our terrestrial as well. Gotcha. We really love to do that uh, because uh, we need to to be able to to secure more funding to keep the station going. Sure. So, so yeah, it's it's been 17 years this coming October wow. that I will have been back uh, as general manager, program director, which again runs the station. I oversee a lot from FCC regulations to our budgets to uh, grading students, you know, to obviously our musical programming. I'm in charge of that. Um, I program each day. Um, I do our promotions as well. Gotcha. I'll even, I even dabble in some sales and, uh, you know, and I'm trying to get into this whole social media thing and learn it while it's I'm tough. doing everything else. It is tough because it changes constantly. Mm-hmm. That's the crazy part. And that's technology, but you there's know, there's new platforms every day. Seems yeah. Like. Yeah. That's, we're getting ready to do a TikTok. Really? Yeah. You know, Got uh, to. But that's where the students come in. Have you heard and of Clubhouse? So, not yet, but it's, I'm sure I will. It's new. Yeah, yep. <laughs> long as it isn't parlor, I'm good. But, <laughs> it's not parlor, but yeah. but yeah, it's you know that's where I really lean on the students, man. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, okay, cool, help us set this page up, and we'll oversee and advise. But you're going to be driving this puppy, and so, uh, and but it's tough because they're there for four months and then they go, or they're there for a couple years at most and then they graduate. Uh, but the ones that love it and find their groove, they stick around and work their way up into. Music director, sports director type positions. Yeah. So it's in the communications building? No, no? it is in uh, Andy Holt Tower, the okay. Tower of Power there, eight-story building between communications and Thompson Bowling Arena. We're in yeah. the basement, the bowels of Andy Holt Tower, the yeah. bolt from Andy Holt. <laughs> and uh, so we're all the way at the bottom, no windows. Uh, so Nice. You know, we just kind of guess at what the weather's doing. And, uh, <laughs> and other than that, yeah, it's uh, – I will, you know, unfortunately, because there's hardly any circulation or anything, we've really had to limit it for COVID. Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, it's Metro Pulse did a story, a cover story on it once and called it Santa's Workshop. Really? That's how they described it with all yeah. the students running around like elves and, you know, everybody having fun. And, and um, you know, the bottom line is they're investing in their future when they come down there. And that's why it was put there. Yeah. So. What, pro- uh, what program is it? Most of the kids that uh, end up. Journalism and electronic media is the major. Is the big, the big major. And then obviously college communications. But we take them from every major. Hey, man, if you show a passion and you show a desire to get in there and learn and mm-hmm. do better and your goal is to make you better, well, that makes the station better. Mm-hmm. And so it's a win-win for everybody. So we'll take non-majors. 
non-communications majors, and we've actually taken non-com majors that have switched or flipped really? to be comm students because they get down there like, I had no idea I'd love this. <laughs> and, you know, next thing you know, they're graduating and getting a job and yeah. in broadcasting. And so that's, again, that's what it was put there to do. Where's your funding come from? Grants <laughs> or at, at, uh, uh, sales? Yeah. Sales, unfortunately. Really? And I say unfortunately uh, because the, the tough part there – Probably 90%, 85%, 90% of our funding, we need to bring in about $150,000 a year to exist. Mm. Yeah. We're getting some help now from the journalism and electronic media at the school, which is great because we need it. Because what happens is when they took our funding away, it's totally stripped it a little over 10 years ago now. I guess it's closer to 13, 14 years ago. Um, I used to spend 70% of the time with students, 30% working on branding, business, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It flipped. It went. Really? Thirty percent working on the business end and just mm-hmm. trying to survive. Uh, th- excuse me, seventy percent working on the business end and trying to survive. Thirty percent with students. That's not why that station was started. You know that I would rather have seventy percent spent with the students, working with them directly, giving them more hands-on work. Uh, and uh, but unfortunately, that's how it, w- it happened. And. You know, when that happened, I had to hire a staff because I couldn't handle all that myself. And so that was more money we had to bring in right. and, you know, repairs and updates. And But we've been getting some help as well with some grants and some uh, money, again, from journalism, electronic media, and a little bit from college communications for our so a couple of major software and, mm-hmm. and hardware updates because we've, we've uh, lagged behind there some too because, again, we're just trying to exist. And obviously with COVID right now, it's we've lost over $50,000 since last March. March. It's tough. Really? Mm-hmm. Trying my best not to lay anybody off because that's the last thing I want to do. But yeah, you got to take care of your people first. Yep. They're going to do good work for you in the future. Yep, they do. Uh, yeah, it's me and two full time staffers that oh, run, good. run it. The rest are pretty much students and volunteer, usually alumni uh, come in and do the specialty shows at night, but they'll take uh, students under their wings and show them too. That's cool. It's really cool. So it's do you have 24 network. hours of programming? We, we're on 24 7, 365, unless Mother Nature or an electronic glitch like that happened this afternoon knocks us off air. And and it just so happened I was at Tomato Head trying to get some lunch to go at about two thirty, and we're off <laughs> air, and so I have to, you know, get it to go, and I run back. What and happened? Get us. I'd like to know. Really? It was just something within the software that just you know went south on us, and it just signed us off. And so I had to reboot, do a couple of refresh, freshes, and a couple of manual changes, and then we came back up. And so that's good. Uh, but yeah, a lot of stations have an engineer. We don't. And yeah. so if I had a full-time engineer, I'd be able to lean on them and they could tell me what happened, but we don't. It but sounds like you wear a lot of hats over there. I really do, man. <laughs> I, you know, I've learned a hell of a lot about engineering, okay. not by choice. Right. Uh, but we've got, Tim Berry does help us with engineering as well, and that's really good, too. He cool. does a great job, but he's a very busy guy. And so, uh, you know, a station where you have the amount of people coming and using equipment we have every day, it takes a beating. And so, and I bet, that, and, and especially not professionals. Yeah, exactly. They're just learning how to use that equipment. Right. And so, uh, uh, but uh, we, we try to stay as updated as possible and as on the edge, you know, what I tell the students is we're going to do our best to where when you walk out of here, you're not going to be intimidated by any on-air control room you walk into mm. you'll at least know they hey, that's for that and this for that and the rest they can teach you right and so that's what we try to do is just warm them up and yeah. uh, as long as we can stay close to that again technology curve that keeps changing you know we're, we're doing as good as we can speaking of that it seems like your return to the to the station kind of lined up with i don't know uh, a bit of a rise in digital 
and kind mm-hmm. of a decline in terrestrial, right? Um, yeah, yeah, somewhat. I mean, obviously, a lot of that is your is who's listening. You mm-hmm. know, the younger crowd is your digital, and, and yeah. the older still love the terrestrial, but obviously are are going digital too. But for us, that's great. That's more access. Yeah, you know that. I mean, you can't see that as oh damn, I got to go do it this way now too. I'm, we see it as, oh, we can reach these people mm-hmm. this way as well. Mm-hmm. And again, when you're dealing with a student population of 18 to 22, I mean, our number one listener group is actually 24 to 35 years old. Really? Male, female. That's good because they live in Knoxville all year round. Mm-hmm. Students come and go. Yeah. So, so um, but that 18 to 22 year old group, you know, they're the one that really depend on the digital and, and some of them have hardly, if ever listened to terrestrial radio. It's pretty yeah. amazing actually. And a class I teach, I make them listen to a station during the semester and then re- write a paper on it. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was wild to see. And it's funny you say that about digital because I was, when I came back 17 years ago, I was wanting to go back to our old name, new rock 90. That's mm. what it was. A lot of the old school listeners, some of the people you probably interview here will probably still call it new rock 90. Really? That's what it was when I was a student. I changed it to that years ago <laughs> and uh and unfortunately two things happened one there was another station in the market at that time that built themselves at the exact same time as knoxville's new rock and i'm really like, an arbitron who does ratings they don't like that yeah if you're that close because people would get confused on who they're reporting they're listening to sure and the other thing is that um old school listeners in knoxville remember rock 104 when everything went to digital it's now rock 103.5 And so I'm like, you know, New Rock 90 probably doesn't work anyway in the world of digital. We got to have that 0.3. So I did some polling and some research on campus and the students identified with the rock on Mm. campus a lot. So we were able to keep that rock moniker. Mm -hmm. We're primarily a rock station. Little and, uh, wink and a, a nod to the rock on, it's on our campus. Unofficial official mascot. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and so hence ninety point three. The rock is what I flipped it. It was the torch when I got there, and that was a horrible name. And the students didn't really connect it with the torch bear. Right. And at that time, there was like a Christian satellite network called the torch, and we'd yeah. get these calls, people calling in, you know, Michael English or whoever, Amy Grant, could you play? And we're like, yeah. why are you calling? Yeah. And that's, that's what I found out. So it was a very functional title change yeah. in more ways than one. And people seem to like it, but I had to put that point three because now in the digital age, you got to put that 90.3. It just can't be New Rock 90 anymore. But again, a lot of old schoolers still call it that. And it's, I love it. I'm going to start calling it that just so people think I know I'm I'm an old school dude. You'll probably see some old school bumper stickers still around town. They're black and green. And my buddy, uh, Mark Best Happy Hour, used to work at Kinko's on the Strip. I did and a few other friends. And that's where I had those bad boys designed years ago. And, uh, man, there were tons of them. And you still see some of them around, actually. So. So speaking of the ratings thing, you said Arbitron was the name of the... It used to be. Arbitron was bought just recently by Nielsen. Nielsen okay. does TV ratings. Yeah, yeah. And they're much more accurate because they actually have a meter on the TV that monitors what you're watching and how long. Yeah. Arbitron all went from memory. They would send you a diary and a dollar. And they'd say, write down over a week what you're listening to uh, and when you listen. Yeah. Well, people's recall doesn't work that well right, unless right. you're carrying on your hip. Yeah. Nobody does that. Right. So Nielsen bought Arbitron, and now Nielsen is trying to make these people meters for radio so that you know it, you literally wear it, and it will pick up signals, digital and terrestrial, what you're listening to and how mm-hmm. long. Does it analyze the waveform, or does it does it I, pick up the signal? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the science of it. Yeah. I just know they're still working on it, too, because yeah. they it was, very, it was probably in the last three, four years, I guess, maybe a little longer, but Nielsen is still having to uh, make that thing work. And so, but 
you know, again, you've got to subscribe and pay a certain amount of money to, to even see those ratings. And now Nielsen is saying, unless you subscribe, you're not even going to show up in ratings. So yeah. it really didn't do any good for us. We don't even, right. we don't even look at it, you know? Well, I was going to ask, like th- that kind of has to be a bit of a plus for digital is that metrics are a little easier to come by, aren't they? You would think. Um, are they, is, are uh, they not? <laughs> well, no, it is. You just need to have a measurement company that is strictly into the science and not into the politics of subscriptions. Gotcha. You know, it was very common when I was in commercial radio to see stations that uh, subscribe to Arbitron score higher ratings. That's and a pay-to-play you see that thing. It's not supposed to be, <laughs> but again, you know, it's a little different because Arbitron is really isn't regulated by the FCC. So, uh, so Arbitron's gone, and and I hope Nielsen can make a, a proper meter. But at the same time, if they're saying, well, if you don't subscribe to us, we're not even going to give you ratings and show mm-hmm. what your ratings are. And it's just like, well, defeats the purpose. But again, we don't even have a budget to pay for that. <laughs> so, you know, we just tell people, come to our events. Talk to Mahasty at Tomato Head. Talk to Ashley Caps. Talk to Randy Burleson. Talk to some of these business leaders who, you know, invest in underwrite in WTK and have for years. And they'll yeah. tell you why. I'm saying, you don't need a diary. Ask them. These guys are successful. Yeah. They've been in Knoxville forever. They know what we do. They know what our listeners are very proactive. They mm-hmm. look for places to go eat, bands to go see, beers to go drink, movies to go check out hikes to to be hiked bike, sure. bike routes you know and so it's a very proactive listening demo and um uh the ones who uh, have been on uh, for a long time or that's who i refer people to is like well, well, well how can you tell us you're successful and, mm-hmm. and again we gotta bring in 150 freaking thousand dollars a year as a student radio right. station there's not many in the country that could do that there's actually not many that have to i think about 96 percent of all college stations are funded so we're in that little bit in the four in the four percent has to hustle it. So Tomato Head and and Randy at Aubrey's Aubrey, and all that. Yeah, they, mainly they've Sunspot, been, Stefano's, yeah. uh, Fieldhouse Social. Aubrey's don't need our help. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'll be all right. Yeah, but they've been working fine. with you guys for a long time. Absolutely, man. We you know one of our most successful fundraisers every November is our beer dinner at Sunspot, which really? is awesome, and it's a little you know a little higher echelon uh, crowd than we usually have, and <laughs> uh, and we get to pair up with usually a local brewery or something, cool. and you know do that five course meal and yeah. uh, and we usually walk out there with a four or five thousand dollar check that's great but uh, you know the event's great too we give out a lot of prizes and stuff and so they've been great supporters randy's been a great supporter for a long long time he's and, a great man uh, yeah i went to school with him at ut and Did so you? it's cool to have those relationships you know but th- i mean part of that business end of it is relationships but they also again they wouldn't throw their money. These are smart business people, yeah. you know, and so they know a good investment and they see WTK as a good investment yeah. and it is also a tax write-off so that if you're a good business person, you're <laughs> going to find those too. So it's excellent. Uh, did you get to do the uh, Sunspot dinner this last year? Did you have to miss it? No, didn't get to do it because of this COVID uh, yeah. and we hope to goodness we'll be back in November, not only because we need the dough, need the dues as say an animal house, but um. <laughs> Uh, it's just a great event, yeah. and you know, I host it and MC it, and uh, you know Randy's always there, and and it's it's just a, a awesome event. And Randy says it's probably the best event they do. Aubrey's everything wide; it's great. like their number one in uh, fun event, and, and he does it to really help us more than anything else. And so, uh, so it's cool to see uh, people like him uh, that. Uh, again, I wouldn't question their business sense at all. And so when they're saying, yeah, we, we want to invest and we want to do this, that and the other, I tell other people, I think that validates us as much as anybody could. Yeah. So not to be too commercially with it or, but what, how can, how can people who aren't able to 
advertise with you like a Randy Burleson or a Mahasty or something like that. How can they, you know, get involved and help the station? I mean, you can donate. You can go online yeah. and donate anyway. Cool. Uh, we got a safe, secure link to do that. Um, you know, we have from time to time College Radio Day. Uh, we'll do some um, uh, auctions where we'll have, you know, concert tickets, football tickets, basketball tickets, whatnot. Cool. And listeners will call in and we'll put a premium price on a package and they'll donate that for that. And uh, But, you know, really that's the main that anybody can donate. And we have lots of donors who do, lots of listeners who do. Um, you know, we have lots of alumni, uh, especially the ones who really use – UT, WUTK as the springboard into their career. Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans, is one of our biggest supporters. I heard, I heard about he was him. my sports director in the late 80s when I was there, and he's now the voice of the Tennessee Titans and a, a good friend and one of our biggest supporters. Um, and uh, we'll tell you that if it wasn't for WUTK, his career wouldn't have got started as soon as it did. It's crazy. So, so, yeah, we've got, uh, we got a cool network, but, you know, COVID has showed us that We've got to find time and a way to work, to put more of a consistent giving or givers list together that we can go back and hit these folks up. I mean, we turn 40 years old next year. Wow. So we're really looking to hopefully put together some sort of subscription service where maybe you pay 90 bucks a year Mm -hmm. and uh, you get some certain things back. But the main thing is that's your one-time donation every year. And if, man, if we could find 500 people to do that, we'd be in really good shape. Yeah, the paywall thing is tough, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of print publications really struggled with it, deciding whether or not to do it when yeah. when all that came down. And and people have to find value in it. There has to be a value proposition there for people to let go of their money, even yeah. though they love you. You know, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, I struggle with it with this with this podcast. Yeah. You know, is it's yeah. just finding a way just to keep the lights on. You know, and yeah. and it's it's just the the loyal people, the loyal fans that that do it. And they do, and it's it, cool with us because a lot of it is our listeners who love the music, mm-hmm. they love the variety. Um, you know, they, they like the cute DJs who say Bob Dylan, not Dylan, you know, and things like that. And it is, they're humans. So it's kind of, you know, cool to hear them make those mistakes, but they also know, um, what an effective learning lab it is, you know, and they, they know some of these students who have gone out in the community and, 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 you know, figured out what they want to do in their life at WTK and used it to, to secure that job and do other things. And, um, you know, and we also are really big, as I learned early on in radio, that it's not just the music and all. You've got to be a positive impact in your community. So we work with some non other nonprofits, you know, Second Harvest, Joy Music School, um, you know, Community Shares, doing the Brewers Jam and things like that, that, that we make sure we give back to. And I make sure the students understand that, you know, commercial radio – Especially in the 90s and early 2000s and it just the deregulation and all, just corporate radio took over and they took the personality out of radio and they took the personal touch and they took the locale, the local touch away. Mm. And we want to make sure we're always local. We call ourselves Local Music's Best Friend. But I also want to make sure these students know that uh, the station can be used to make things better. And, uh, mm. you know, we've really been busy doing that with – Everything that's going on on campus regarding racism and the Pride Center and all. In fact, we started a show just to for students to address those issues Great. on air. Um, and so, yeah, the music end, I got into radio when I was 16 for the music. But then when I saw what my little AM station back home was doing to the community and the positive impact it had, you know, every day at 1230, the, the town would shut down to listen to local news to see who's lying in the funeral parlor and whose baby was born today. Yeah. And so, you know, at 16, that made a big impact. And 
um, Greenville High football, Greenville High basketball, all that. And so I got into it for music, but then I started seeing the other stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is, and it was, this is really what radio was created for. And that's to, uh, to address needs in your communities that others aren't addressing. Hmm. You, to order to secure a license in the past, that's what you had to show and prove. And then again, through all the deregulation through the Reagan years, especially in Sumner and Clinton years, it became more of just a profit-driven business. And that's why people quit listening to especially commercial radio in droves. And uh, then when digital hit and all the other platforms hit, that didn't help either, obviously. But uh, commercial radio wasn't going to change. And so the – but the cool aspect of all that, if there is one, is that more people went to the left of the dial – and they started listening to the WDKs, the WDVXs, the WUOTs mm-hmm. uh, because of that local flavor. Mm. The, you know, you, you, you can't, can get Jack you know, FM anywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, you can't tune into Sirius XM and win tickets to go see somebody at the Mill and Mine. Sure. So, you know, can't see anybody there yet. But, um, but uh, you know, that that's, that's a real important part, too, and something that we really pushed at the station that um, a lot of people don't realize that. But that's cool because – you know, it's not like we want to be sainted for it. We, again, feel that as a role a radio station should play. You guys have been top of my mind ever since I went to school there, you know, as, mm. you know, just like the Daily Beacon, man. You know, yeah, it's just like yeah. as, as big of a as, – as I'm as proud of The Rock as, a, you know, am of the Daily Beacon. It's yeah. like it's the thing. It's yeah, alumnus to, you know, yeah. really yeah. take that stuff I hope so. I, that's, I tell all the students and um, just a split second, I don't have – I know I'm fine here and here, mm-hmm. but I've lost my right. But I don't know if that's – there you go. Cool. I didn't know if that was affecting the whole no. – um, Let's see. What were we talking about there? Uh, the track. alumnus really uh, yeah. uh, cling to the to well, those things that, that are unequivocally UT. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I tell the students when we go through training that college radio is a very fraternal thing. And when you get out and you meet people, other people work at UTK, WTK in particular, you start talking that talk. And everybody else is like, what are they talking about? And then you start talking to other people who went and worked at other college radio stations. And it's very fraternal, you know. And you're like, oh, man, I heard Mojo Nixon for the first time. or heard, you know, the Beastie Boys for the first time or whatever. And um, it is. There's a really organic uh, love that that is involved. And whether you went to UT, but especially if you were a student in the station, it kind of always, you know, I tell them college radio is never going to leave you. It Mm. it will always kind of be in you. Yeah. Uh, and part of that is just the adventuresome, you know, we have so many people that come through there who just love music, man. Yeah. They like music to slap them in the face and challenge <laughs> them and find all this new music. And uh, they're the ones that really find a home down there. You rely on the kids to, to bring in the to Hell help yeah. program it? Oh, yeah. They know it's cool. I mean, you know, if you don't, you're a fool, you yeah. know. I mean, I told them, I'm like, I mean, they, they I blow their mind with all these bands, too. You know, like tonight I'm hosting the Mothership, and it's mainly bands from the 70s. And I had cool. a couple students come in today when I was producing it, putting it together. And I'm like, wow, who is that? And, you know, I'm like, well, this is, you know, this is mass production or this is a live Commodore's cut. And, you know, and so – but, man, they're – I mean, yes, they absolutely I, – I will – you know, I absolutely lean on them to to turn us on to new artists. and But it's also part of the process down there because some of them don't make the cut. And that's that constructive criticism. I'm like, you know, I enjoy the fact you brought this to me and you thought, you know, maybe this is something we could like. But let me tell you why we're not going to play it. Hmm. Uh, but most of the time it's stuff we will add, you know. And, that's, uh, it's just really cool because, my God, there's so much music out there now, man. With with how easy it is to record a song now with the software and all, it's just yeah, it's man. hard. 
it's to, not to lasso it all in. I, I mean, I dug into that. Do you know Garrett Sale, uh, William yes. Wilde? Mm-hmm. Yes. He came on the so show. Talented. Man, unbelievably talented dude. Mm-hmm. And I think we got into a little bit of that threshold of of entry to the business is so you know, so much lower now. Yeah. So it's good, but it also makes the space a lot more crowded. It really does, and uh, you know, it just and and with COVID. You know, when the the artists couldn't tour, they had to stay out in front of people. Mm. Well, what do you do? You cut singles. And I mean, it's been one single after another because Mm -hmm. you don't, a lot of them aren't putting albums together because you got to tour on an album. You know, that's one thing that, that, you know, it's vital that when you cut an album, you go tour because that's how you sell an album is they hear four or five songs for the first time at a show and they're like, I got to go pick that record up. Yeah. Well, now... It's just been singles. They're just dropping singles just to stay in front of people and to exercise their art. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, strategy with these guys, right? Especially at the beginning of COVID that we're like, man, we've got an album cut, mastered, ready to go, but we don't want to put it out right now because we can't support it with a tour. I would love to know how many artists are in that boat right yeah. now. There's uh, tons. Uh, uh, Wes mean, Bailey from Moon Taxi was, was sat in that chair and told me about that. I was like, oh, you, guys, you must be... It must be killing you to yeah. know that you've got this piece of work that you're just yeah. dying to, to put out there. And he's like, yeah, I think we're just going to kind of keep putting singles out and just kind of keep the the wet in people's whistle yeah. a little bit yeah. until we can or tour you, on it. You can be Sturgill and put two Bluegrass albums out in two months. And, that was pretty you know, sweet. Yeah, yeah. His bassist, Mike Bubbs, a good friend of mine. And, and you know, that band he put together was freaking awesome. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's amazing to see. But again... I love it because, you know, when I first got into music in the 70s and all, you know, singles were the thing. It was AM yeah. radio and it was singles. And mm-hmm. you'd hear John Denver going into Fog Hat, you know, going into a Commodore song, going into Olivia Newton-John, going into Roxy Music, going into the Stones. And uh, so when all these singles started coming out, I mean, it was it's work. You got to mm-hmm. go get them and find them. But, man, um, I love it because it's just like adding new flavors to the ice cream counter. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, give me that one and that yeah. one and that one. So. With, uh, with Sturgill's two bluegrass albums, do you think that he strategically went about doing that to – do you think he feels like he alienated his fan base by putting out Sound and, Sound and Fury? No, um, he's an artist first and foremost, I think, and yeah. um, I would probably tell you that. Um I've worked with him a couple of shows and um, he's, you know, he's an interesting cat. He's his own cat and yeah. that's cool. I think he did bluegrass because that's what he started on. You know I mean? Yeah. That's what I grew up on. You know, I helped uh, start WDVX and, and you know, both that, which kind of helped grow out of a bluegrass show we used to do called Sopping the Gravy. I just love bluegrass. <laughs> grew up with it. Sopping the Gravy, dripping with bluegrass. <laughs> And so it was Sturgill. I mean, when you grow up on bluegrass, man, it's kind of like the Caldrado thing. It never leaves you. And you got to exercise it. You know, I mean, I've I've been dying to go back to a bluegrass festival. It's been a few years. Me too. I went to tons of them, you know, and and, uh, I'd love to go back to one right now. But um, I think that's the main reason, excuse me, is. He just loves the music, and that music is part of him, and it allows him also, I think, to uh, to to get back to play more guitar, which yeah. he's a freaking world class acoustic guitar player. He's great, and uh, and he surrounds himself with great musicians in Nashville. A lot of those guys I've worked with, and and are just the best people in the world too. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, I. I'm sure he's probably got two or three more records ready to go. Knowing Sturgill, man, that guy's so freaking talented. But I think he really did it just because he loves that music, and that's what he started on. And so. it seems like he just does whatever he wants to do, too. More power to him. I, exactly. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that great to see? Yeah. Instead no of doubt. what a label wants you to no do. No doubt. Or he's, you know, and it's funny. People are like, he's an asshole. No, he just knows what he wants to do, and he's doing it. 
Yeah. And again, more power to him. So. He definitely puts off that asshole vibe. <laughs> he does. He does. He's kind of earned it, but he's got, he's uh, kind of earned the right to, to be that way in, in some ways. But again, I've worked with so many, you know, I don't know, professional musicians that, um, uh, can be that way or seem that way, but then you get backstage and they're just totally, yeah. I mean, just, they're just totally different. They're you know? people. You're just, yeah, you're hanging out watching baseball with them. Or, yeah. You know, I mean, that was the coolest part of working concert promotion for me for 15 years or so, uh, was just hanging out with them off stage. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. The best part is putting on a great show and seeing the people love yeah. it. But the the other best part is just getting to know those artists, not as artists, but as people. Yeah. So are you, you said, I heard you said Greenville, or is that where you're from? <laughs> yeah. Greenville, really? Tennessee. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I go up to Paint Creek every now and again. Ooh, that's some cold water. It is cold. <laughs> I love it, the man. The trout like it. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, we've uh, rode Dudley Falls, jumped off the cliffs up there. Yeah. Uh, you know, go to Paint Rock right down by French Broad on the river there. Yeah. That was where our senior layout day was in high school. I like it. Uh, we uh, actually released My Brother's Ashes right there where Paint Creek goes into the French Broad because it's such a special place for yeah. us. Uh, but yeah, it was cool. We didn't have the mall. We had the mountains growing yeah, up. Yeah, so that's, that's what we did. Kind of nice, right, man? Yeah, that's what we did. And it was fun and uh, Grew up there great as- place to grow up. Might be a good place to retire, but in between. You know, yeah, just not enough options. But yeah, not enough for some folks. That's cool. as much opportunity, right? But yeah. it's beautiful. It's There's absolutely a college beautiful there, right? Tusculum, Tusculum is there. It's called yeah, Tusculum, Tusculum University. Where's now. Walter State? It's a Morristown, Morristown. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's down the road a little. Wally bit. High, yeah, yep. and that's <laughs> and that's all kind of there in the same world. Oh together, yeah, Hamlin bit. County is right there next to Green County, Hawkins County, and yeah, uh, yeah, that was you know Morristown East was one of our big rivals, and so yeah. we play them and. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's Upper East Tennessee through and through, yeah. no doubt. What were you guys up to as kids growing Ooh, up in there? Lord, no mall. Yeah. <laughs> Played a lot of wiffle ball until yeah. we couldn't see the ball at night, yeah. you know. I ate, ate a stuff. lot of cereal for supper Yeah, because uh, we're always in you know, bikes, man. We're like the kids from E.T. on bikes. We, yeah. we just bike. Every, even, you know, that's why I tell people I got the best calf muscles in the world. Is if you can learn, if you ride bicycles in Greenville, Tennessee with all those hills, yeah. man, you can, you know, you learn to drive a straight shift on those hills. Um, but yeah, we did a lot of running around, just having fun. Um, you know, sports, sports, sports. My dad yeah, was, was a coach. Cool. And so what he coach? Uh, he coached. Yeah. He ended up coaching me in basketball, baseball and football. Really? So, uh, at and, the high school uh, level, he coached <clears throat> mainly, um, rec league stuff, but he would coach, he coached every level from flag football and T-ball up to high school level stuff. Awesome. And so, so what was his uh, job job? Did he have a, did he have yeah, a job? He other was, than that? Uh, he was involved mainly in, he was a assistant manager of the housing authority, housing projects in Greenville. And oh, so cool. I spent a lot of time at the projects growing up and had a lot of fun down there and, uh, learned to tie my shoes down there. I still remember that. That's and, awesome. Um, so he was involved a lot in public housing and, and stuff like that. So it was a government job? Um, yes. Uh, like a HUD yes, job it was. or something like that? Yeah. HUD job. And then he worked when shifted over and did like uh, uh, house inspection stuff for the city codes oh, inspections cool. things like that uh of course very involved in the church and um he was a great guy and and uh, well known in a community really? which can be a good thing but you know it can be also well you know officer so-and-so told me he saw the car out late last night <laughs> what were you doing and so you know but i guess that helped keep me in check too yeah you know? so but yeah i was uh, blessed to have a great mother and father growing up and it's a great town to grow up i had so many close friends that are still so close to me now. Some yeah. of them living up here. 
um, as I said, I started radio back there and that really, you know, really uh, jumped on me. In fact, my, I just lost my first boss to COVID from back there who was my first Sorry, radio man. boss. I know it. It's sad. It's affecting everybody. Um, and he was a great man and great again, who, uh, knew what a station was to a community. Mm. And so I learned a lot of that from him and from what they did there. But um, it was a cool town to grow up in. And again, we just leaned a lot on our friends to make up our fun, man. There wasn't, Love it. you know, not a lot of money, not a, like I said, no malls, um, no Walmart back then. There's a Grants and Woolworths. But other than that, yeah, it was really, man, just knocking around the neighborhood, running around. You know, walk around at night and uh, and hanging out with the fellas. So. What was the what was the radio station? The first job? What was that like? Were you a high school Ooh. or college guy? Or well, yeah, high school high man. School? It was man. The World's Fair was such a cool thing. People don't understand how widespread of a positive impact it had in East Tennessee. Um, excuse me. I was in a class called AA Event, and it was kind of for advanced students, and so. It was part of the World's Fair helped start it, um, mm. which was cool because it challenged students to not only do this classwork, but you had to go do like an internship somewhere. So I was 16. And so I, they were like, we want you to focus on somewhere you may want to work later in life. And I'm like, cool radio. So um, went down to the radio station and hung out the first day to do my internship. And they offered me a part time job before I left. <laughs> and so not only was I getting class credit, I was getting paid. You know, and 16 years old, on the air, loving it, sneaking on after the manager went to sleep at night, sneaking to pretenders, B-52s <laughs> on, and, uh, you know, on a little AM uh, top 40 station, and uh, uh, which was fun. But now I look back on it, I'm like, man, that, he, you know, somebody had to know. But um, at the same time, it was kind of cool. But again, I just learned early on. I started it for the music. And then I just saw the impact that little AM station had on our community, the positive impact. Um, and I'm like, you know, this is for me more than I thought. And so I worked there. I'd go back home in the summer and work part time. I worked on a farm back back home as well, tobacco farm. Whew, yeah, that's now that's work. Now that I worked in tobacco because any day I want to bitch about my job at WTK, yeah. I think about you know being at the top of that tobacco uh, barn in August trying to hang tobacco, and I'm like. I, I'm going to quit. How many acres so. of tobacco was it? Ooh, it was different. I mean, you could work at different farms. You could literally pull uh, up to some farms and, and go, hey, you need help. And uh, really? tell you how much. But the last summer is when I finally was like, and I worked at the UT Experiment Farm, and it was 40 acres of world-class hybrid leaf tobacco, which means it weighed a ton. And it was huge burly leaf. And so... It was so heavy, and we were on quarters at UT, and ETSU was on semesters, and most of the summer help there was either from ETSU or UT students. Mm. Well, ETSU went back early, and so they didn't have to hang, so it was all us UT guys that had to get up in the barn and hang the tobacco, you know. Uh, but it was it was 40 acres tobacco, 300-acre cattle farm, uh, and then a lot of other stuff, and, and – uh, Man, it was his tough work, but man, I, I worked with some great men that that you know knew the knew the land, and and that's what they did all their life. And you really appreciate hard work. And you, like I said, when there's days where I'm like, damn, this job's killing me, I'm like, I start thinking back. I'm like, he ain't killing me like that one. So um, it was it was good. Made some some uh, decent money for a summer, and because uh, it kept you, you're so tired when you go home, you don't want to go out at night and spend your money, right? So that it keeps was you cool. thin too, no doubt, tanned, uh, tanned. And my dad's yeah. like, boy, you were chiseled after that job. I'm like, yeah. cool. But uh, did you pick up smoking? 
No, thank Are God. You, you know, that? that's funny you say that because in Greenville, man, it's like 70% of the people back there smoke. And my parents both smoke, but I've never smoked a cigarette in my life and, wow, nice. and, and um, never wanted to. And uh, just Lord of mercy when you grow up with it like I did, you know, but it's, I mean, like, you know, Greenville High School, our stadium was Burley Stadium, which Burley is a type of tobacco. And our uh, our yearbook was called the Auctioneer from Auctioneers Tobacco Auctioneers. So I mean, the Burley, you know, the Greenville tobacco influence was just huge. And uh, so uh, you know, it's it's sort of bittersweet, I guess, to see that you know influence die off some. But it's you know, a lot of families made a lot of money yeah. off of it. Is it still an industry there? It is, but it's not like because people don't smoke like people they don't used smoke to. As much, yeah. So they're uh, vaping which, now, I guess. But um, <laughs> sure, doing Greenville too. But yeah, that was just a good lesson, you know. And and I, but I still work some at the station as well when I work there uh, part time. And uh, you know, I've been literally working in radio since I was sixteen. So. That's really cool. Yep. So then you went to UT after that you said 85 is when you went to ut but you said so you were in high school during the 82 world's fair yeah so um yeah it was cool which like was I the said, energy it, yeah was that it, was part of it too it was the uh, energy ecology what it was mainly energy and so so yeah that we took that class and i got to get do like three trips to the fair for free which was wow. cool you know and it was cool, really cool because drinking age was 18 at the time and yeah so you change your id because there was no picture on the id and we'd oh, go nice. to the roman room and uh, have some some high school fun down at the Roman Room, even. <laughs> What's that? Um, but oh yeah, yeah. Roman Room was Sam and Andy's. Uh, was a deli on the yeah, Strip, yeah. Greek deli. Where what? Where where was it? So down where used to be McAllister's. When McAllister's okay. closed, you mm-hmm. know, it was right there. It was great, man. Sam and Andy's was more of the deli part. Roman Room was kind of this back room. And what was really cool about Roman Room was a lot of faculty would go hang out there, mm. so you could really get to know your professors. Oh, you know? gotcha. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, but in high school, of course, it was, it was another Man, I thing. bet that so, was, po- I bet the strip was so crazy in 82. Dude, it was so different. Yeah. It, you know, Ruby Tuesday was probably the, the place then too. Uh, right? Ruby's was great. Gabby's well, this was 83 was when I started fall of 83. I graduated okay. from Greenville in 83, uh, June 83. And so started fall of 83 and yeah, Gabby's was a cool club. The U, U club and library, was huge. The library. So many bands I remember my there. dad telling me about that. That was great. Um, you know, there was, was quarters. There was, uh, of course, OCI, which it was just great. Yeah. Uh, it was down by where Sunspot is now. Same um, building, right? Is so, it the same yeah. building? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the one that's not open right next yeah. to it, basically. Yeah. Do you think Randy's uh, going to so revive that brand? He's, I've, uh, I've actually toured it with him and um, man, it's in such bad shape. I don't know that he's got the capital to do it yet. Yeah. You know, he just opened a bunch of Aubrey's not too many years ago and yeah. he's put a lot of his capital. That's been smart. So yeah. um, they'll either expand Sunspot or if he can't open OCI up again, they'll expand the kitchen. They'll knock the wall down to where the Sunspot kitchen's a little bigger mm-hmm. with that. And he's told me some plans. I'd love it. I mean, it was I Peyton's place, man. I Peyton know. loved it. You know, those open face sandwiches were the great there. Uh, but yeah, the strip was incredible. You know, I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers for the first time there at Gabby. What was the wow. place called Gabby's? And of course, it's no longer there. And second place I saw them was at the library. Um, you know, so it's many amazing. bands on the strip. Bodines, yeah. Fish, Wilco. Yeah, I mean, just on and on and on. But uh, it's a lot different now. And it's a shame, too, because the one thing you really miss from the strip that I'd missed, you know, like China King and Pick and Bills, you know, local bands, kind of it was an incubatory. Yeah. You know, you, you could walk from the fort over and see your friends play and yeah. walk or stumble back home. But there were so many local bands that, that played on the strip. 
And you kind of had to do that before you got to the old city, to Planet Earth, Ace of Clubs, Manhattans, whatever was happening in the old city. So it was a really cool place where you could kind of learn to be a band mm. um, because the crowds were – they were there to see you, but that wasn't <laughs> quite the priority most nights. You know? The beer helped. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You know, Long Branch is another – so, I mean, <sighs> it was just uh, – it was a lot different um, – uh, environment. Mm-hmm. It was a lot more crowded with people. I mean, I remember it being assholes to elbows, yeah. both sides, you know, weekend nights. And of course, game days were nuts, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And that's where I really, you know, started diving into live music when I got up here. It was Smoking Dave and STDs and all these cool bands. And why, then, why have I seen some Smoking Daves in the Primo Dope stuff come across like Todd Steve's? Yeah, they're uh, recording a new record. Yeah, oh, it's, that's okay. Todd. It's Todd and Dave and Doug. And uh, man, I can't wait. It's going to be so good. <laughs> I got to get Todd in here. I've been thre- oh, no, threatening no. to for He was our first music director at WTK. So, yeah. Was he really? Yeah. I didn't yeah, know that. Absolutely. Chris Lowe from ESPN was our first sports director. I mean, it's pretty wild if you look back. But Chris Lowe's uh, been getting getting some time lately. Scooping, man. <laughs> yeah, he's pushing for Lane Kiffin to come. Is he really? Yeah, but yeah. it's 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 cool. You know, like I said, the 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 strip was cool. I mean, the old city was just had its first renaissance. Was Ella Garou's open uh, yeah, yet? Yeah. Where man. was that? I, so where the fondue place is now? That's, oh yeah, that was it. You know, really? Planet Earth was the shiznit. That was the great place. There's one twenty one Jackson there, and you know, saw so many cool bands there, and had a great relay. We had a great Great relationship as a radio station with them and mm-hmm. with Ashley at Ella's. I got to interview everybody from Ernie Isley to Adrian Ballou to Steve Forbert. I mean, so many people at Ella's, you know, that that Ashley brought in. And uh, and then Manhattan's, you know, was kind of the blues club yeah. and Ace of Clubs opened up a little bit Did later. Did Hoorays so. ever do music? N- uh, not really. They I mean, if they did, thing. it was like, yeah, the Chill Billies or something upstairs. Yeah. But oh, yeah, Hoorays was great. Man, the old city was so cool I back know. then. I remember was, going to Tomo there when I was a kid oh, eating man, sushi. And, and then even a little bit later, Bullfrogs, the reggae club. Yeah. And, but it was so BW3. cool because a lot of the owners were just colorful characters. I man. bet. It was almost like a, a sitcom. Or and something. now one dude owns it all pretty much with Carleo and, and uh, then now Randy Boyd, too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I um, I will just say that I like the direction Randy is taking it in a lot more than what Dwayne took it in. Let's just, I'll just leave it. At yeah, that. yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I agree. I agree. The nightclub thing. How many, how many nightclubs do you need in that, yeah, in that square yeah. block? Well, I think you know, Randy. What Randy wants to do is he wants the all the old city to work together like yeah. it used to, as opposed to just little, you know, bitch battles that some owners have with each other. Because a place like that, you've got to all work together. I mean, I was on the the for the board of Rhythm and Blooms and. I was one of the main ones pushing to bring rhythm and blooms to the old city mm. back, you know, a few years back because that was, I, I thought, you know, if we could, if, you know, not just myself, but a few others thought, man, if we could bring that down there, that could really help the momentum for the old city to start swinging back in the right direction, mm. which means showing you more people will come down there, which means people with money will start buying property. Sure. And so that's happened. And yeah. they put that baseball stadium down there. It could get real interesting. Did you see they so. tore down the water tower? Did no, it? I did not. Wow, I, I noticed wild. it for the first time a couple of days well, ago. It's on then because yeah. Randy wouldn't tear down something with the UT logo on it unless he had to. Yeah, so. yeah. And more power to him. I know. But I was. I was. I was like, okay. I love it, man. Baseball was my first love. Me I too. Mean, so I, you know, the only time I cried in high school was my last baseball game. Really? So you know, I, I love the game, mm-hmm. and uh, and if my knees would allow it, I'd still play it if I could. Me too. But, uh, I'm excited about that, and I know some people aren't, but I mm-hmm. think when they see 
what can really happen, mm-hmm. not just baseball, but multi-use. Yeah. That's what, that's the, that's the thing that Alan Sims said when he was here was, yep. you know, there's a lot of opportunity for that space and it doesn't just need to be used 30 days a year. Absolutely. It needs to be used all year long. Absolutely. And I think, you know, they've dabbled with that at the Smoky Stadium. We're doing concerts and oh, things yeah. like that, but we could do a lot of cool stuff there. No doubt. And, you know, with more downtown residential, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you know, your, your audience is there and mm-hmm. don't have to drive in, but there will obviously will be people driving in. And, you know, people are like, where are we going to park? Well, they'll find some parking. But also, just right over the hill is the Civic Coliseum parking garages. Sure. So people don't think about it. You can easily shuttle to baseball yeah, games from absolutely. there. It's like the ag campus for football games. Mm-hmm. So Take an Uber. Easily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or walk over. Walk Hell, over, it's yeah. two blocks. Exactly. Walk, you know? Yeah. Somebody told me, I think it was uh, – forget her name, Belinda, Melinda at Cat. She was like, we did a study and and the the most sustainable thriving cities in America are the ones where it's hardest to park a car downtown. <laughs> As well it should be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Makes good uh, sense. well, a friend of mine lives in Greenville, South Carolina, one of my best friends. And, Great city. I used uh, to live there. Yeah, and he said, man, it, it's cool town. I did, I did a lot of shows at the Peace Center down there years oh, ago nice. when I was with AC Entertainment. And so uh, he was like, man, when they moved that ballpark downtown, Game changer. Everything changed. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. So. Uh, that bridge, the single-sided suspension yeah. bridge that they have at Falls Park was a big thing. Yeah. And then the West End, it started to creep west when they built that stadium. I I worked down there on, at the West End right next to the stadium. Yeah. It was crazy. It was yeah. so busy all the time. And then uh, I went back five years later after I moved away. And it was even – it had developed even more in the, in the other direction. And that was much like the old city. It was a place where you saw people sitting around begging for money or yep. doing drugs or whatever. And and then, and then now it's, you know. And they did a good job of pedestrian traffic uh, mm. in Greenville, downtown Greenville. You know, they made it safe for people to get out of their damn car and walk. Sure. You know? So, yeah. and what I mean safe, I mean not being jumped by a robber, but you know, from traffic. They would block streets off, make pedestrian sure. wise. So yeah, they, they have that one street, nor- uh, Main Street, that yep. just is kind of the thing. You yeah, know? that's it. And there's a free trolley that runs up and down it all day long. Yep. <laughs> what a kinda, concept. Man. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's it's great. So, well, I, I, we got to get to the AC stuff. So, you were at Ooh. UT in 83, yeah. and then you you – Worked at the radio station in 85 when it was, what was it called then? Then at that time, I don't, it wasn't even album 90 yet. I think it was just WTK. And then another grad student came in around when I was music director at 87 and named it album 90. Okay. And then I graduated. I was music director like 86, 87. I was a first class to graduate in the new arena. So I was December 87. Okay. And I got back in fall 88. And that's when we flipped over to New Rock 90. And I uh, was there from 88 to 91. And that was when my uh, concert promoter career started by default. Really? Because well, the deal, WTK, we were so involved working with all those old city clubs. Mm. Uh, Ashley at Ellis, Chuck Burnley, the late, great Chuck Burnley at uh, Planet Earth, the guys from Nashville at uh, Ace of Clubs, and then later at Club Taboo, and on and on. And and these bands would come and play, and we were get, they were getting great crowds, and we'd interview them all, and they'd always come by the station. So we developed great relationships with you know, people like Spin Doctors and Colonel Bruce Hampton and his guys. I mean, we, we became good friends with them because wow. they would literally – stop at the station before they would go to the club and interview and we'd catch up with them. Yeah. Um, Toad the Wet Sprocket, you know, yeah. these bands like that they were really cool. And uh, and then these clubs started shutting down. It was the underground opened up and that was the big dance club, you know, and yeah. it, it kind of shifted some things. Really? And, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of interesting because I did a dance night down there. I was a club DJ doing a Planet Earth, doing New Rock 90 dance night and it was freaking huge. It was nuts. I never thought I'd do anything like that. And, <laughs> 
Uh, and, uh, and then I remember when the underground opened, it was a legit huge dance club. Mm. And so, so, um, it kind of changed things in the old city and then some of the places, planet earth. And then Ashley with Ella's when he moved it to the foundry and then finally, you know, shut it down and Ace of Clubs and all, uh, going more dance too. And so all these bands who, again, Southern culture on the skids, I've become good friends with and all. They're like, man, we can't drive through Knoxville. We've got play. to stop and yeah. play. And they're like, you got to do something. I'm like, hell, I'll book the show. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to Peter Calandaruccio at the time, who was one of the owners of Club Taboo that took over for, for uh, uh, Ella's. Reached out to the guys at um, Ace of Clubs who were from Nashville. Uh, that's where the old Blue Cats was. Um and uh believe I yeah, I reached out to the library um down the U Club library on the strip and I'm like, I got these bands and they bring in a hundred, two hundred, three hundred beer drinking people. Yeah. <laughs> and can I park them on your stage? Yeah. And man, I learned by fire. I mean, I at baptism by fire. I've heard it's a, a tough industry. It's really tough. People have no idea, but for good reason. Um, so, you know, it by default, I started booking shows and it just freaking took off. And so um, when I uh, uh, had some offers and when I left WTK for the last time in grad school to do some other things, but I'm like, man, I'm kind of liking this show business. Was it your own business? Or yeah. Were you just yeah doing at that it point, I, I actually formed my company called No Cheese Music and cheese was with a Z. I was before all those Z <laughs> guys. <laughs> the and Z so, cheesers. And it was a functional one. title because at that time, if you think about it, that's the early 90s. So big hair music was still around and there was some really bad bands too. And I didn't want to deal with them, you know? And so I thought, well, maybe if they'll see No Cheese Music, they'll think we shouldn't call him, you know, because we're cheesy. So it worked, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I was about one of the only promoters in town at the time. My buddy Clint Brewer did some shows, and he's down in Nashville now. And uh, uh, so, but I mean, I was about it. And then Mercury Theater after that was Mm -hmm. when it really went to that next level, I guess. And I started booking shows at the Electric Ballroom, and you know, they just got bigger and bigger. And I started working with bigger bands, and all these booking agencies were calling me. And I had part time jobs at like the Record Bar and then Disc Exchange and all too. So. Because you wouldn't make money booking shows, not at the club level. You know, you just don't. Really? No, no you don't. I you mean, ever, you ever have tough. to take a bath? Did oh, you? Oh, hell yeah. Really? I sold so many CDs to pay bands, you know. Really? Before, yeah. Just, you know, and, and it could probably equal out, you know, over the, the main, you know, over the, the over hall. The but <laughs> I was just doing, you know, yeah, it was it was me and some of my friends would work the door for me and we'd. Dude, we, I've walked through all those streets in Fort Sanders so much, putting up flyers, and you know Bad. the cops would hassle us because I said it was trash, and so we, so uh, a friend, yeah, so a friend, I would, I would take my staple hammer and the flyers, and a friend of mine would walk with me with a trash bag. And we would rip all the old flyers down nice. and put them in the trash bag. So when the cops would pull up, they go, hey, trash. I'm like, yeah, here's the trash and we're collecting it. And they're like, yeah. oh, well, go ahead, go ahead, because <laughs> posting flyers at that time was illegal, right? Um, so man, I, I, I probably got a million staples. In those I was going to say those there. poles are riddled <laughs> yeah. with staples, man. I'm, and, uh, I'm sure there's still a few. I was the first one to use one of those staple hammers because yeah. when you're in the Ford at 2 a.m., 
putting flyers up. That staple hammer looks pretty intimidating. Oh, it does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, But man, I, you know, I did the flyer thing and, um, you know, it was, it was really interesting and it was getting pretty successful. And then Ashley came calling. He's like, Hey, you know, you want to do this full time? I can use somebody. And they were growing at the time. They were still above the Bijou and he was wanting to really stretch out into the Southeast more Mm. with the company. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was health benefits and everything else. How big was AC at the time? Well, we have one, two, three, four, about, I don't know what, six, seven employees, maybe. Um, and I did. Talent buyers and promoters? Yeah. And, and marketing. Uh, I did a little of everything. Um, I also repped shows a lot too. So I was one in the office that literally would rep a show till two in the morning and be back in, in the office at 9am putting a marketing plan together for Bob Dylan's, Bob Dylan's five show swing in the South, you know, things like that. And so, so it was exhausting, you know, wore my ass out. I Uh, I did a lot of travel, a lot of travel. Because, again, that was when AC was starting to really spread out, you know, into Chattanooga, Birmingham, Greenville, South Carolina. Asheville was our second home, and I was the Asheville Point guy. I worked more shows at Be Here Now and Pack Place and – yeah, uh, man, that was before it was the Orange Peel, right? Oh, way. Yeah. This is, you know, Be Here Now was like the first non smoking club, and it was just awesome. <laughs> where, where was I, that? It's right there on Biltmore. Um, okay. Yeah. Right near the the kind of circle play. It's, it's, it was, man, it was, it was so huge. Be Here Now was huge. It was a big, big deal. That's where I got to work and meet and work and get to know people, everybody from Elliot Smith to, to Lucinda Williams to Patty Smith to G Love. Mm. I mean, the shows we did in that place were just amazing. You know, we went into Durham. We went into Greensboro, Winston-Salem. Wow. That's a long way. Lexington. I mean, that's kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would literally put marketing plans together in the morning and get my truck and head out, work a show, come back, you know, and, uh, or stay the night if it was too late. And so I worked there for seven, about seven years. Wow. And uh, it really grew. We went, I guess we had three different offices, maybe, I guess, at the time because we kept growing. Wow. And But it was tough growing, man. There were times, too, you know, where we didn't know. Weren't sure if you're going to make it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, You know, but Ashley's a genius. He knows what he's doing. And, you know, he worked us hard. You work hard in that business. And people don't understand and realize that. But, you know, he told us once, and I'd already known this, but when you hear Ashley say it, it validates it. He's like, you know, when people buy a concert ticket, they're buying a golden ticket. And they don't need to know what happens from 6 a.m. until 3 a.m. when you load them in. When you got guys loading in a Leslie or a B3 Hammond, or, you know, and they're pushing these, you know, I mean, I remember loading Wilco in the rain up the steps at Flamingo with a freaking B3 and Hammond, and you're just like, God, what am I doing? Right. But then they get on stage. You know, and it's just like this freaking magic. Bliss for everybody in the crowd and on stage. Absolutely. And you look at them and you're like, this is why I do this. And then you got to load it all out. (laughs) But that's what Ashley was made. The point is like, they buy that ticket. They don't need to know. How we're working our asses off yeah. back here. They that, buy it so they don't have to do it themselves. That's true. <laughs> and that's their little slice of fun, their slice of heaven, you know, being in the same room with their their idols or who they grew up listening to all their life or whatever, you know, or being able to bring their mom or dad to a show that they turn them on to and um, or your friend or your date or whatever. And so, yeah, I learned so, so much working with Ashley and great people. Troy Sellers, Tom Bug, who's still around. Yeah. Tom uh, Bug's at the Bijou, right? Yeah. Ian, who's still there at AC. 
Um, you know, so, and, and they're all great friends of mine and, and still are. And, you know, we just, you know, we had, used to have those hot summer night shows at the world's fair park. Outdoors, my first ever, just my first awesome. ever concert was Dave Matthews band at, at, uh, I was fourth grade. There you go. 1994. I mean, those 95. were great, man. They were those amazing. Were awesome. They were those amazing. Those were work, but they were awesome. You, you know, there was some counting crows stuff that happened. Steve Miller band. That was a great show. I remember it storming that night too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could go on and on. Pretenders, Neville brothers, you know, just on and on and on. B-52s, uh, widespread, G-Love, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, blah. yeah, yeah. But, so, so, yeah, I went there and uh, so I worked, I guess it was uh, <clears throat> uh, 95 to 2003, 96, 2003, something like that. Wow. I folded up No Cheese and went straight to AC. I and, love that. Uh, worked, worked, worked hard, um, made lots of contacts, as you can imagine. I it's bet. all about networking, man. Yeah. It really is. And and um, I quit three months before the first Bonnaroo because if I had to work Bonnaroo, I would have gone postal. I was at really? the point where I was like, yeah, I am just have had enough. So you knew Bonnaroo was coming. Oh, yeah. We worked yeah. the first two festivals that were the pre-Bonnaroo Bonnaroos. What it's were called, those? They were called Mountain Oasis Festivals. Somebody Excuse told me, me about yeah, those. I forget yeah, who right was. outside of Asheville. First one, very successful, very organic again uh, on this dude's property way back in a holler and it snowed, and but it was just freaking amazing. Wow. And it was our first test at putting a fir- our first festival, real festival, two, three day festival, mm-hmm. excuse me, together. And then we had the second one booked uh, over in, uh, a little bit on the other side of Asheville in, a, in what would have been a much nicer venue, mm-hmm. but 9-11 happened. Uh-huh. And uh, so there were artists that couldn't even get in the country right. and people didn't want to travel and people couldn't travel. Yep. And it was 98 freaking degrees that weekend. Mm-hmm. And it was tough. When we did you guys call our it? Ass. Uh, we didn't. We we did the festival. You oh, know? you did it. Yeah, it was yeah. 2002, I guess. 2000, when, okay. 2001, 2002. When was 9-11? 2001? 2001 was so, 9-11, the first Bonnaroo okay, was 2002. Yeah. So, so, yep. So that's what it was. It was it was pre-Bonnaroo. Uh, and um, like I said, the, I, I was about to get married for the first time, too. And concert promotion is not very conducive to a, a good marriage. Yeah. So <laughs> um, if you travel, especially in rep shows like yeah. I did. So, um yeah, man, I just I took a step back, and um, at the time, I guess uh, I was ready to get back into radio. Yeah. And uh, and I would also, at the time, I'd already been doing Sop of the Gravy with Tony Lawson yeah. from DVX and my buddy Shane Timon. Were you in the trailer? No. Well, this is pre-trailer, dude. This is pre-all that. <laughs> we were up at WQLA and Woodson's Mall and La Follette doing it, you know? Really? And just, man, people How, how far did that it. go? How, how big was the, you said 1,000 watts takes you about 30 yeah, miles? Yeah, that was, uh, I guess, what are they, 3,000 watts? So okay. we would reach into North Knoxville a little bit, but mainly into, you know, Anderson County, uh, Kansas. Campbell County, Halls, that area. Uh, and well into Kentucky, Lake City, probably. which is now Rocky Top, into Kentucky some. And, yeah, so we, you know, I think what we did there was we really lit a fuse, relit a fuse, because bluegrass is always big in this area. But we loved it, and people felt our passion, and they heard our passion. And and then, uh, you know, started bringing bluegrass bands in with that show, actually, even before AC. And then uh, started booking a lot of bluegrass uh, I did with AC and doing the bluegrass of the Bijou series and on and on and on. And um, and so bluegrass was really important to me and I was doing Sop of the Gravy and it was going great. And then WDVX was born from that. So, yeah, we were in the camper there some. But I went for a full-time job. I was offered to be promotions director. And at that time, 
you know, this was when Americana, I mean, I was, I was booking Americana bands before Americana existed. Was, was a genre? Yeah, I was bringing Whiskey Town and of course mm. the V-Roy, Viceroy's were all my good buddies and, you know, uh, Six String Drag, Old 97s, all those bands, man, I was bringing into town um, and it was just a huge following here for, you know, it was just that rootsy music. <laughs> And in fact, WDBX, um, when Tony and I were, you know, we would do a lot of skull sessions about WDVX because it's a 45 minute drive to and from La Follette to mm. the radio station. You guys and, ride together? Uh, oh, yeah, man. Windshield you, usually time? my whichever car was working that week <laughs> and uh, usually my truck. And um, so I remember crossing the Cumberland River and we were Tony was like, um, Tony was, one, you know, we we'd all we were like, well, man, we just need to make Sob and Gravy a station. That's what WDVX needs to be. It's just bluegrass. And I'm like, mm, you know, it's such a defined audience, man. It's going to be yeah. tough to make money and stay on the air. And so I was like, here, listen to this cassette I made. And it was called This Is Americana. And it was hardly before Americana, the name was being used, but it was just a lot of bands I was bringing to town. And uh, he was listening, you know, it was a really cool mix, but you could mix bluegrass in with it. Mm. Or you could mix folk yeah, yeah, or yeah, singer-songwriter. Yeah. And yeah. and so I remember, I'll never forget, we just crossed the Cumberland River and I popped that tape in. I'm like, this is what I think we need to do, dude. So you guys and curated WDVX listened, right yeah, there. Yeah, we listened to it all the way. We were like, well, I was like, what do you think? He's like, I think, I th- he's like, I want to hear more. And yeah. so we did. And um, But then I also went, I got a full-time job. My, my dear friend Aaron Snuckles, who I've known for years and worked at AC with me some too. The big wheel guy? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, great promoter, go-getter, ideas guy. Um, uh, definitely uh, someone I've always looked up to and learned a lot from. And mm-hmm. so they offered me the promotions job at 100.3 The River at the time, AAA yeah. commercial station, 100,000 watts, six states. You know, I'd get requests from Alabama, mm. South Carolina, Georgia. Um, and I got to also program and host a two-hour Americana show called Americana Cafe Saturday mm. or Sunday nights. And it went through the room. I mean, I was like drawing in, you know, like 16 shares. I, mean, I want to say like Gillian show. Welch and all that stuff was coming up right, right when it was then, coming and it was out. getting big. Lucinda Williams, yeah. you know, and so, yeah, it was right when it really Iron started, yeah. really started taking a hold, you know, yeah. bluegrass or, or Americana as a, as a genre. And I, I went to, you know, to a bunch of, uh, 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 like, uh, I guess, industry uh, type uh, seminars and stuff, too, and made our name known. People knew what Sopping the Gravy was and That's what cool. Americana Cafe was. That's and, cool. And we did some great things with the river, you know, Rocket on the River, they're still doing. And, man, it was unreal. I mean, what we did at the river was – it's still, I look back and I'm like, you know, man, it's just, I mean, we had a, it was like dream job, dream team. We had a like the dream team of Knoxville radio in my mind. And I enjoyed that station uh, a lot. I remember it. I, I was sad to see it go. Uh, it was a little lighter than, than, you know, your classic mm-hmm. rock station, but it still, you know, leaned into the rock, bled into the rock world a little bit. Yeah. It's triple yeah. A, which is album adult alternative is yeah. what that's called. Gotcha. And for Knoxville, it was, I mean, yeah. I remember, you know, playing Los Lobos on commercial radio yeah. and, you know, my, my music director at the time, Shane Cox, program director, who is now program director of B97, great guy, good friend. Um, he pulled me into his office one day. He goes, hey, I want you to listen to this. He goes, turn it on. And he's like, you know who this is? I'm like, that's Los Lobos. Yeah. He's like, I think we're going to play it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 
and so then I knew and, and, you know, and so we did some really incredible things. Again, another station that served its community that mm-hmm. had local DJs who knew what was going on locally, who knew right. the flavor locally. Yeah. You know, we did Saturday night on the town with Jason Mraz and Maroon 5 before anybody knew who they were. Five or six. I mean, Maroon but, 5, yeah. Yeah, before anybody knew who they were. Um, and I gave Jason Mraz some really good moonshine and it tripped him out. Oh, I mean, I he could not, uh, I mean, he was just like, I've always heard of this. People give me a hard time for liking Jason Mraz. That dude is a great I'm vocalist tell you and what, a good musician. He's a really good dude. He's he? a good cat, man. Yeah. And we had a good time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, we did some great things. And then we come in one day and uh, here's a banker's bank box. guy's there. And he's like, well, they've sold the station to Citadel and you're all fired. And yeah. we're like looking at each other going, what? It That's commercial that radio. That is yeah. corporate commercial radio. Yeah. You know, two of our sales ladies were pregnant. You're gone. Doesn't matter. No, hell no. Yeah. You know. Um, so you know, and and then we had a. Uh, I mean, we blew it up, dude. We. I mean, Mike Hammond, who at the time was the program director at WIBK, said he he said he had never seen an audience response to anything like they respond to us. Were they to us how, Oh my God! Oh, it was unreal. <laughs> And uh, we had a uh, back at the old think tank. You remember? That? I don't know if you remember I that. Do, was Scott it with a West? Queue? Was there a queue on the uh, think yeah, tank? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's southbound that. now, I guess, isn't it? But oh, wow, Scott yeah. West's first venture into a bigger club, and so we did a, uh, our last broadcast. We broadcast live from down there. Called the, we called it the day the music died. Oh we had man! T-shirts made. And you weren't bitter. People were freaking <laughs> crying their eyes out. It was like a huge nice. funeral, man. Yeah. And we were there live, and people crying on stage. And it was just, you know, it was something. That station meant a whole lot to people, and we were very proud of that. I remember loving it. Uh, it was really – It, it was, was special, it was and I always remember why did it go. Yeah, why, I always remember thinking about Corporate Radio thought they could come in and keep it the river and keep maybe a couple people on air and Make it same, seem local. You know, yeah, and it, and it just, just went – Yeah. And people refused to work with them. Artists refused to play for they them. They got blackballed. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically did. Uh, my show, I took it to, I actually from there went out to, uh, what was at the time, uh, Max 105.3. Uh, it was an 80s station. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I flipped it, uh, which means you flip their format. I flipped it from 80s to AAA, what we were doing mm-hmm. at the river, yeah. but a little edgier. And with Todd Etheridge, who is just a great guy, and and, um, and Tony Basilio was there at the time. And so <laughs> I did uh, Americana. They wouldn't let me use the word cafe, so I did Americana Lunchbox noon every day, and I did another Americana show at night on Sundays and uh, and was there for a few years as well uh, at WFIV, uh, helping out there too and, and being a consultant for them too. And, uh, and then I guess it was there. What was I guess I went to Metro Pulse from there and did some print news. Yeah. And put Metro Fest together, which was a huge festival we did on Market Square. Which I miss was the amazing. Metro Pulse so much. I do too. I think everybody I miss does. those people so much. Um, they were, you know, it was just an incredible group of incredibly creative and people. And it was around forever too, yeah. I felt like. How many years? 20 years? Good Lord, I don't know. I, I want to say 18 to 20 maybe. I'm not sure, but boy, I miss such it an for important, so many reasons. Such an important publication for I know our town. It. I know it. And it, I mean, the Mercury tried, but... They just, did. They were doing a good job, but again, it's all about it's all about them Benjamins, unfortunately, and you got to make enough to, to pay people what they're worth. And ad know, sales so. just can't do it? 
not print anymore, unfortunately, yeah. I don't think, um, you know, unfortunately again, but I mean, my father-in-law is Sam Venable, one of the most successful writers ever, the Knoxville New Sentinel. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking to, you know, see print people like that who are so good at it, you know, being phased out. It's like, this shouldn't happen, you know, but um, it does. And that's, you know, I guess, uh, as John Prine says, wrote it all up as a progressive man. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was interesting. I loved working print media. That was fun. And that Metro Fest was fun. We had Clifford Curry and the guys that were in the amazing Rhythm Aces. We had their original band back together. Just, just, just a What'd really incredible there? night. It, I put the festival together. It was on Market well, Square. For, for the paper, it. what was oh, your job? I was promotions director. So okay. I literally helped do promotions and stuff and promote the paper and put events together and stuff like that. And, uh, and then from there, they, I was there uh, one day when I got the call from Dr. Swan. He's like, Benny, Sam Swan. Like, I'm thinking about uh, hiring a general manager at WTK. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm like, my thought is I'd love to do it if you can get the money. And uh, he did, and I did. And that was October of uh, 2004, I guess. So 17 here we years. are, man. Yeah, here we are. So. Well, I, I got to say, just your, your name gives me chills almost because of how long I've heard it f- for and because of how I just feel like you're so important to to what comes out of this town. I think the university is so important and you're a really big part of 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 what comes out of the of the of the speakers there, man. And yeah. we appreciate it. I appreciate that. That means a lot for people to say that and to feel that and to mean that. Um I just like to give my friends a place to play, man. You know, that's everybody's like, why don't you play? I'm like Somebody needs to put them on stage. I'll yeah. do that part. I mean, my parents were in a gospel band growing up, Southern Gospel. and So music's always been a big part of our lives. My two older brothers, huge influences on me musically, you know. I mean, when I was growing up, we listened to everything from um, the Andrews Sisters to James Brown, you know, mm-hmm. and then Bluegrass. You grew up around that, too. And so, you know, it's it's just so cool that, you know, these people, they're my friends before they're my clients or I get them. Right. I mean, that you know, and I want to do as good as I can to – Put them in a situation to where, you know, they they all they have to worry about is making music. I'm gonna take care of the door. I'm gonna take care of the promotions. I'm gonna take care. I'm gonna do what a promoter is supposed to do. You do what a musician's supposed to mm, do. Yeah, and that's the way I worry. That's how I approached it, so that they could put on the best shows they could and exercise their art. And uh, you know, we're in a great city who's always had an incredible talent pool. Incredible songwriters, singers, players. It's amazing. You know, so, and I've called so many of my friends and it's just such a blessing, such a cool thing. Um, so yeah, it's work, it's a job, but man, it's a passion and it, it pulls at my heartstrings because uh, you love seeing people have a good time. You love seeing the owner count up beer receipts at the end of the night, uh, <laughs> but you especially love it, you know, when the band walks off soaked and sweating and, you know, they're just, you know, they can't sit down for 30 minutes because they're still so excited. I mean, that's how I was after shows, man. I'd come home at three in the morning and it'd take me two hours just to wind down, you know, so, but it's, yeah, it's fun. I'm, and I love being part of this university. Uh, you grow up, I'm a ball fan, always have been, blood runs orange, so I tell people we strive to do our best there at UT, and I try to do that at WTK, even though I'm working with people who are doing this for the first time in their lives. So, uh, uh, But, you know, just again, it all goes back to making this place a better place for all of us. And if you can use your job to do that, you know, more power to you. It's amazing how many people come through the university that stay here. 
mm-hmm. musicians, artists, otherwise, and uh, the musicians especially all end up, you know, coming through your office at some point. It seems oh, like yeah. or trying to play on the radio. But no I doubt. look back at 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 the musicians just that I've had on this show, and a lot of them didn't come from here. They come from somewhere else, and they ended up here because of the university, and Absolutely. they stayed and they contribute to the to the musical fabric. Yeah, that's one of the things I love the most about Memphis. I took my first trip ever to Memphis last summer, you know, and I loved it. Or summer before last, actually, because COVID was this summer. And, you know, I, I reach back and I sh- I'm like, you know, knocking myself upside the head because that, that's such a music city and mm. it's so great in the history. But, man, you think, you know, I didn't hardly, I knew I didn't know anybody from Memphis before I got to UT. You get I know. UT, Isn't that man, crazy? Like, boom. And there's so many that are musically talented. Yeah. And you're like, man, I'm just I'm glad all you, you know, thank God you Memphis people are here. Yeah. You know? I mean, and they hang around a, whole a lot new, of times. Too. Absolutely, man. I mean, Nashville, too. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. a whole nother league now. Mm-hmm. But, man, just the talent from Memphis musically. And but they get it honestly down there, man. I mean, that's in the water. Know, it's something. a great it's a great music city. And uh but I, I, you know, yeah, I'd like keeping them. I don't want to give them back. So let them stay here in Knoxville. I'm man. fine with it too, <laughs> yeah. man. Yep. Yeah. Especially since we have all the good venues now. Because, I mean, I, like I said, there was times there when I was booking, man, you know, our venue situation in this town was was just absolutely You feel like horrendous. it's good now? Oh, yeah. Especially comparatively speaking. I yeah. Mean, you know, you talk about making lemon out of lemon or lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> the Mercury Theater. God. Where was it? Uh, where Preds Pub is now. Okay. And so I brought everybody from, holy jeez, man. I mean, everybody from Hum, Modest Mouse. Uh, you know, I could go on and on. Got out my voices. Of course, old 97s and Southern Culture came through there. We did Steve Earle. Did Viceroy's, V-Roy's CD release party there. And Steve Earle got Steve Earle on stage with him. And he showed up in a suit. And, <laughs> like, because the guys played in suits. And, uh, you know, just had some incredible Chris Connolly, William Tucker show there. I mean, just on and on. You look back, I look back, I'm like, geez, I cannot believe we pulled that off in the Mercury Theater, you know. And um, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, but again, at the time, that was it, man. That was the only and It was us and Mahasty, Snake Snatch and Subway were all that was on yeah, Market all the, Square, exactly. you know. And, uh, and God bless Mahasty because she sure fed a lot of my bands and they loved Did that she? place. That that. Tomato Head helped take a little bit of the sting of walking into Planet or into a Mercury Theater. Really, away. you know, they go walk in there and the oh, this is PA a nice place. Was shite and it was yeah. you know, bathrooms were god awful and uh, uh, and <laughs> I'm like, but you can go down here at Tomato Head and get a really cool meal and get yeah. away from all this for a while. And so it worked out really well. But man, we had some incredible shows at at Mercury Theater and 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 birthed. And grew some great local talent there. Yeah. I mean, super track, you know, and obviously the Love V Boys. Guys. And yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, Hyper Tribe, Gran Torino, so many of those bands yeah. played Mercury Theater too. And it was, it was the joint, man. It was a cool place. Do you think we're missing any uh, size venue right now? Yeah, we, we still in this town don't have a legitimate listening room. I mean, the Bijou is and can be. It's to me the finest venue in the South, mm-hmm. uh, acoustically speaking, mm-hmm. sight lines. But, um, we really need a place that you can put seats in. Laurel Theater is to a degree, but it's very exclusive mm-hmm. with the Jubilee folks, and that's cool. We need a place where you can put 100 to 150 chairs, 200 maybe down, excuse me, in. It's a listening room. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you what can have What about the square a, room? Something like that? Um, that book, I, I guess. I don't know what they're doing there, dude. Yeah. I, you know, I've... Something that size, though? You can pull it off of something that size. That might be a little big. I'm talking more of a – 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Down Home Picking Parlor in Johnson City. That's where Mm -hmm. I cut my teeth on live music, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up seeing Newgrass Revival, Webb Wilder, Doc Watson. (gasps) And um, it's a listening room. And a part of that is because the people that come there respect the music so much. And so, you know, that that respect is going back and forth. And, and, you know, you may be on a good night, put 200 people in there, but um, it's a smaller place. It's intimate. And so I think we could really use that, you know, where mm. you do your singer-songwriter nights, where you do your solo duo nights, um, and or you or you bring in a, you know, some sort of acoustic performer before they get to that bijou status of selling 700 tickets. And what and about so, the pilot light? Uh, it could be, but again, I'm talking more of a place where you could sit down to. Mm, gotcha. You know, where okay. you got 150 yeah, yeah, yeah. chairs, 200 gotcha. people can sit. Um, that, and then again, going back to, man, we need a rock, we need a rock place on the strip. We need a place, you know, I mean, there's not as many bands on campus as there used to be. Jesus. I remember doing battle. We started battle of the bands on campus years ago when I was at WTK. I remember the second year we got 36 cassettes from 36 different acts on campus. 36. So college students probably. Yeah, they were, you had to have at least half the band had to be full-time students and art and art and architecture building at the time. Tons of bands were coming through there, man. It was wild because most of the student art and architecture students stayed up all night working on the projects. And so, uh, but um, it was, uh, you know, it, 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 there was always some little place on the strip where you could go and play and and get your chops, you know, and and nobody had to drive, so God only knows how much beer was consumed because <laughs> you'd stumble back home in the fort. Right, the fort was a lot different than two. There were lots of band houses where these bands, one band would live but together, four in, rooms. Yeah, but in the basement, <laughs> two or three bands would practice. Like mm. Monday night and Wednesday night, it was this band. Tuesday and Thursday, was this band. And so there was always a party at those practices, and so you know these were good bands and. um that was a really cool thing. Again, very organic. I keep going back to that word, but but it feels uh, it's not around anymore, right? Not as much. I mean, you know, you if you're you know pilot like God love just they. Oh man, I'm so happy we've got that place Me and too. Uh, and is needed. But you know, if your first show is at Barley's, you better be good. I mm-hmm. mean, that's a big stage in a big room. Mm-hmm. So I'm you know we need a, a smaller kind of uh, you know beer beer hall place on the strip. I think where these kids can put bands together and not be afraid and just you know throw it all against the wall and see if it sticks yeah bring your buddies and, bring bring 30 yeah because we, your best we do a battle of bands now and i'll get maybe eight to ten files really and it's like oh man. what happened <laughs> i know man because the talent's there yeah um and it's so easy to make music now and record i think they're it. just so, on ableton somewhere <laughs> i guess man i don't know i'm sure they're on their computer somewhere yeah. and you know on youtube or whatever yeah. but um uh, you know, that's one thing I really miss is just the abundance of bands, man. Some of those freaking Battle of the Bands were just freaking, I mean, unreal, you know. And then I miss Alumni Gym. I mean, man, that was a rock hall. I saw so many great shows there. I got to interview Joan Jett there, who was Damn. one of the nicest people you ever meet. You know, I saw you two open for Jay Giles there. Wow. You know, I mean, on and on. George Thurgood and, you know, Bus Boys and Joan Jett and B-52s twice. And, and it was just a rock hall. It was an old gym, you know, and on the floor was a 
basketball floor and then it had the balcony up top and you could sneak a keg in if you wanted to. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it was a party. I mean, it was, there were great shows there. Who's could do Primus, Fishbone, Chili Peppers, you know, and you'd buy a ticket for like nine bucks, you know. And uh, Those and days so are over. The, on campus, they sure are. And that's a damn shame because, yeah. man, that was a really cool part of being at UT in the 80s and, and early 90s <clears throat> was alumni gym and those really cool shows. Yeah. Uh, it, I think I lost part of my hearing in my left ear at that U2 Jay Giles show. It was I was on the third row. so and Nobody even knew who U2 was at the time. Really? Barley, and Bono jumps right out in the crowd and goes nuts. Just and, some guys from Ireland who yeah, happened to be opening, opening for, for Jay Giles. Jay Giles totally different. Who were just great. <laughs> And uh, I miss, you know, I miss that too. Yeah. Uh, but again, when you look and you look at Mill and Mine and Bijou and Tennessee and Presbub and Scruffy City Hall and Barley's and uh, Jig and Reel and on and on. And there's just some great plays. Then yeah. you go out Maryville the Shed, man. They do great things I'm not out there. The shed. They do an incredible. Scott and those guys, you know, I mean, their last guy that just booked them, Josh Formott, was one of my former DJs. Really? So, um, so there's a lot of connection there we have with those guys and they do a great job out yeah. there, you know, and, uh, I've always felt like we're missing that in between, uh, the Tennessee theater and Thompson bowling arena yeah. size venue, the, Col- yeah. the Coliseum just is for me, not, that not, would have been your alumni gym right there. Really? Man. Yeah. That 5,000 yeah. person venue. Even if that probably more 3000, yeah. you know, cause you can still put five in the, in the Coliseum and, it, and it's good. It's, yeah. you know, uh, seen some great shows. Best show I ever saw in my life was concert there. And I've seen hundreds, if not thousands. I bet I've you've seen count. thousands. Cause I've seen hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, it was Prince in 1983. It was the 1999 album tour. Really? Uh, me and 17 of my dear friends from back home. And this was alumni. No, this was yeah. a civic Coliseum. Civic Coliseum, okay. And as March 83, I guess, senior year in high school. All your, all your Greenville buddies? Oh, my God, dude. It was general. It was festival seating. And so, you know, obviously there's nothing else to do in Greenville. So we get up here at noon on sure. a Saturday because we're like, we're going to be first in line. Prince played Knoxville on a Saturday? Yeah. You'd think that'd incredible. be more of a Wednesday a night stop no, I'm for him. I'm sure it was a Saturday. That's and, awesome. And then, you know, the Hyatt was up there on the hill and so we parked up there yeah we had three different cars we parked up there and we kept all the beer and stuff up there so we'd do shifts you know half of us would be in the car drinking beer the other half would be saving our place in In line line. in the Coliseum and uh, I remember they opened the door and we were like we get in we're like we're the first ones here and we were there wasn't many people on the other side and so we went right to the front yeah dude you know back in those days you just boom you take off you run and uh, we got to the first freaking row. It was like first and second row were me and a bunch of my friends from Greenville, you know, and, and we're like, Prince. And you're this far you know, from Prince. Yeah. <laughs> and so far, close enough, he heard us. And that night, um, Vanity Six gave my best friend Frank a banana that said, Peel me Knoxville. <laughs> and two of my other friends caught bandanas that the time threw out. They opened up. It was Vanity Six, the time, and Prince. And then, in the middle of Prince's set, he throws something out in the crowd, and all these girls jump, and I get it, and they jump on me, and I don't know what it is. So I put it in my pants. And so after the show, we get out, and I pull it out of my pants, and it's a, it's, it's black bikini, like br- bottom bikini, you know, <laughs> panties or whatever. I'm like, no wonder all these women, I guess. I'm like, no wonder all these women were jumping on me. And I've still got them. I've, and I got a poster from that show as well, man. And that was, that show uh, blew my, I was a huge Prince fan anyway. I turned everybody back home onto Prince. I was into him really, really early. And um, it, it literally 
altered my life i mean i'm just like no he blew my mind as a guitarist that night i I, he's when you're that close and a guitarist and you're just like it just you know blew my mind and uh is um, the while my guitar gently weeps video yeah we tom petty yeah we we play that version actually uh, it's so incredible it's it's he was i had no idea he was such a shredder he was unbelievable one of the one of i think the three best of all time and so he that was the best concert i've ever seen and there's never been a question i mean it was just that good i saw him three or four times but that one was just you know that was 1999 tour so it was still you know there was smaller venue obviously and but i'll never forget it was so cool you know because two things happened right when the lights went down Number one, you know, the light, if you're in a Prince show and you know the lights go down, Joni Mitchell comes. He plays Joni Mitchell music mm. before he comes on stage. Soon as the lights went down, you heard everybody scooting the chairs back, like this huge, <laughs> where everybody just literally pushed all the chairs back so everybody could stand, you know. And uh, I mean, uh, and and as soon as he did, I mean, the lights went on and he played, and it was just the most incredible show ever. Incredible band. Um, and then the lights came back on and I remember looking because it was sold out completely. There were people behind the stage and he mm. wasn't playing in the round in 360. Right. And it was the most multicultural, multiracial. Sh- That's great. It was unreal. It was like, yeah. this show could not get any better. Then the lights came up and I'm like, we're in Knoxville, Tennessee and yeah. it looks like New York city. It yeah. just got better. That's awesome. You know, and, uh, and Prince has always been in my top three. Yeah. yeah. I, I came on to him late, uh, but man, I, I can see, and I see people who share the same affinity for him that you do. And um, it makes me respect him even more. First time I ever heard him was on an eight track and it was right. a friend of mine had recorded it. <clears throat> and I don't know, was probably too young for this, but used to back years ago when you record stuff, sometimes it would pick up if there was a CB radio nearby, mm, it yeah. would bleed into your recording. Yeah. <laughs> and this Prince 8 track had some, he'd be bleed. playing Dirty Mind and his, I was like, <laughs> and I'm like, God. that's how I first got turned on to Prince years ago. <laughs> and again, he, I hate how he left us, but uh, yeah. man, he left us with a lot. So. He sure did. Mm-hmm. Man, Benny, I'm so glad that you came mm. and I appreciate you so much thanks for, for the doing it. Of course. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's cool. This is cool. This is, you know, we're getting the stations getting ready to get into more podcasts. Our sports show already does it. Our music department's getting ready to Good. do more to, in like new album reviews and things like that. Good. This is the direction it's going. And that's the one thing radio has been able to do from a technological standpoint is it's been able to kind of keep up unlike Mm. newspaper print media just Mm -hmm. did not keep up with the technology we're trying our best with you know no budget and uh, 18 to 22 year olds driving the place but it's working and like I said man I I let them bend my ear I hear I get advice from them on that stuff because that's the direction it's going and if we can pick them up along for the ride and and, uh, Mm -hmm. then they're going to be listeners too and so but it's great being here it's great that you uh, are able to use this thing to shine a light on our city because uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, you know, it's it's a great city. It it it's cool to have been with AC and doing the things I did because we were very involved with the the whole revitalization of downtown, and every one of us knew we could get where we are now. You know, I mean, it's it's great, you know, with big ears. You knew what the finish line I mean, could we, look like? We knew it, man. Yeah. We knew it. We went to too many shows. We knew too many people who, you know, and we knew that if if it became a consistent product and a consistent offering, there would be even more and mm-hmm. that people would live near it if they had a chance. And you go downtown now and there it is, you know, and we just got to get people got to 
they got to work together to get past this COVID. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to get into politics on this thing, but we got to, man. And yeah. I think we're at a point, especially since yesterday, uh, with some leadership in place that's going to help us. And, and that's what we need because, man, I, I feel so bad for for my musician friends and my artist friends and my venue owner friends. And, and not and they're losing money. We're losing money. Lots of people are losing money. But, man, they can't even really practice their art in yeah. front of people. You know, I'm, and so – but I'm glad you are shining a light on these people because, like I said, a lot of them are friends of mine first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm lucky because of that. But, man, when you can put them on stage and turn the mic on and turn the lights on and, you know, that that's when you're like, yeah, this is why I do this. Well, it's it's stuff that I've been interested in forever. Yeah. It's people like you it's that I've, I've known, always yeah. wanted to talk to, you know, and, yeah. and this just kind of – Gives them an excuse to come over and let's let's record it because I, I f- if I'm interested in it, other people have to be interested. I in it hope too, so. I mean, know? I've had a pretty interesting live. I hope it's not been too boring for people. Maybe it's, give them a little bit of a insight as to how I got from point A to point B to where I am now. I guess too. But I've had a lot of help from a lot of good people. Some yeah. I've mentioned here, some I haven't. Uh, you know, and you got to have good help along the way. Mm. You just got to. And I hope that I've been good help to, like I said, a lot of my friends, a lot of those folks, club owners, musicians, agents, you know. Uh, but especially now, you know, my role is is a teacher, as a tutor, as a mentor. And so that's where a lot of my energy goes into, a lot of my priorities. Mm. And obviously I'm able to also do the things in a bigger picture for the city uh, using the station and for this area and for others who are non-students and uh, you know to be able to do all that is is like like I said kind of my dream job you know and then do it at UT where I love uh, you it's know all it's all cool thing. for you man. yes I'm lucky it's all man. your passion really I mean it could some days can get really crazy down there sure. with the lack of funding and, and um, you know, if anybody wants to donate, WTKRadio.com, have at it. Go to the Support WTK tab because we need it. We're we're uh, we're turning 40 next year. We're going to do a bunch of fundraisers. We hope COVID's passed mm-hmm. uh, so that we can uh, really hopefully build a stable base for that station because Knoxville needs WTK. Mm-hmm. Um, they need WDVX. They need WOT. I mean, Knoxville's mm-hmm. got the best left side of the dial that I know. Mm-hmm. Um and but but all those stations need to stay around to keep what I talked about that big picture that so many of my friends and folks at AC Entertainment knew could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know just as vital as keeping DVX and us and UOT right there in the middle of it. Too. I feel like the pendulum's got to swing back that way from Sirius and Spotify and this whole kind of globalization of anything you ever want to hear. It is is, is there. Yeah. Like I, I feel like there's. Like you said, the left side of the dial. The, yeah, it is. Again, I think the important the thing, anybody can play the music. You mix the local flavor mm. in. You read the local weather. You know, it's yep. one less time you got to look at your phone while you're driving. Yeah. You know, if you tell them what the weather is, you give them, you know, free uh, pizza at Dazzo's, you know, free meal for two at Sunspot. And you send them to these places because you know that once they have one experience there, they're going to go back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what we do down there. One of the things we do, and we're just so lucky to be in a town with so many cool people, so many cool movers and shakers uh, that uh, support us and see the good that we do down there, too. And uh, you're right, man. We get out of this COVID thing. we got to have one big Knoxville party. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's no doubt about it. doors off of it's, it, man. It's going to happen. It will happen. we just all got to work together and, and make this thing uh, be contained. It ain't yeah. going to go away. we got to right. contain it. Yeah. So. But do we miss anything? Uh, I don't know. Just let me know when to do part two, and I'll show back up as long as you got one more beer for me. I'm gonna, but, I'm, uh, gonna I'm gonna hold you to it. <laughs> be no problem, man. Wait. But I appreciate the opportunity, and like I said, I appreciate all the people who have helped me along the way to get where I am. Yeah. 
uh, it's I tell those my students, you know, it's not about making that paper. You want to make money. If you want to be rich, that's fine. Go mm-hmm. for it if that's your goal. My goal is to put an 18-hour day in and want to get up and do it all over again the next day, you know. And uh, so you know I've done doing, that for many years. Right. That's it. You're yeah. doing what you want. And, yeah. boy, if you can be that lucky in life and have a beautiful wife like me, beautiful daughter like I do, um, yeah, I'm living that dream, man. Now if we can just get a football team. So, and we're starting on we're that today since we got step, a new AD. One so, step closer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Benny, thanks so much, man. My pleasure, I appreciate ben. it a lot. I'm looking forward to seeing you again sometime. Absolutely. Good name, by the way, Ben. Hey, so that's yeah, good. All my friends and, uh, call me Benny. There you go. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and shout out to Andy Vincent for hooking it up, oh, too, yeah, man. Another man. WTK uh, alum that just does great things yeah. there. And, uh, man, it's it's cool. That's the other part of my job that's so cool to see Watching these guys people grow, go on go and on. do good yeah. things, you know. And uh, and they never lose sight of that place. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool of the a, station. A lot of them came from your tree. Yeah, I hope so. I hope they learned something down there that, uh, that got them where they are. So, Thanks so much, man. Absolutely, man. Talk to you soon. Keep it up. Well, all right. How'd we do? I thought that was great. Benny's the man. I'm so glad he uh, he came by. And I appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for being here. Check us out on uh, Patreon at South of Scruffy. If you want to support the podcast, help us keep the lights on here. Help us keep the thing moving. Instagram's at South of Scruffy. It's all at South of Scruffy. Just check us out. Keep doing it, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you guys a lot. Take care. Talk to you soon. Matt Honkinen, play me out.